Hey you! Yes, you! Are you a fan of Disney parks but are upset you can't go right now? Do you want your own chance to make some magic happen? Do you like art, comedy, and tomfoolish shenaniganery? Then have we got some good news for you! In an effort to help laid off Disney cast members and similar park employees, at Thanks for Magic is hosting a 36-hour charity livestream. Set your calendars for noon Pacific Standard Time on Saturday, December 5th so we can all come together and say, Thanks for the magic! If you want to help make this happen, follow at Thanks for Magic on Twitter for updates. Together, we can make sure that those who helped us make magic get some magic in return. Hello and welcome to the Emperor's New Podcast, where we explore every corner of the Emperor's New Groove franchise. I'm your host, Michael Hirsch, and today I am joined by a very special guest. You may know her from her occasional appearances on the podcast Escape from Vault Disney, and as one-third of the hosts of the Channel KRT podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kitty Quinn. Hello, so nice to meet you all. I may secretly turn out to be a spinach puff, we'll see. Yeah, then Micah's also done some animations for both our show and for Escape from Vault Disney. He's animated our promo. He's done short little animations for every episode of Escape from Vault Disney, taking scenes from it and animating them. They're all great, and you should go definitely check out his work. It's all awesome. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, now, today we'll be discussing the movie about the movie behind the movie, The Sweatbox. For those That's who... a lot of movie. For those who don't know, The Sweatbox is a documentary about the tumultuous, tumultuous production of the film that would eventually become The Emperor's New Groove. Now, the first thing I want to ask is, before this podcast, how familiar were you with The Sweatbox? So I actually discovered The Sweatbox for the first time a couple of years ago. It's kind of funny because I've been a big fan of Emperor's New Groove ever since it came out in 2000. It, was, it instantly shot up to one of my top 10 favorite Disney movies ever and one of my favorite yeah. animated comedies ever. So when I remember checking out the soundtrack, I remember being kind of confused. Hey, what are these extra songs? And then that led me to kind of discover the sweat box over time. Actually, I would watch little clips from it, but I didn't watch the full documentary until a couple of years ago. So it was kind of fascinating learning more about the history of Kingdom of the Sun and learning more about the various things that went on behind the scenes, learning about the troubling history behind it so made it really fascinating i also uh, i am obsessed with the emperor's new groove so of course i found out about it and i just watched it and took a lot of notes in this emperor's new groove vhs notebook which was bought for me by david gansel aka doggins on youtube so thank you david oh that's cool and then on the plus side when i found the sweat box com the sweat box in entirety on youtube i came across possibly one of my favorite comments ever that would said from commoner scout art uh oh don't tell me the executives hated almost everything about the original vision yep gotta restart everything from the bottom most likely bring it on <laughs> yeah i saw that comment too shout um, out to scout art that's awesome <laughs> yeah so it was originally gonna be directed by roger allers of the lion king and mark dindle and he was inspired by inca mythology but it was also a Prince and the Popper story and there was also romance and also side characters. There was a whole bunch and a villain conspiracy and all this stuff going on. 
Yeah, it's kind of fascinating learning about how the film changed so much over time. In some ways, there is a lot of stuff that stayed from the original. Like the original version of Cusco Manco was a lot similar to how Cusco is now in the final product. And in addition, of course, they made the right decision of keeping Eartha Kit and keeping Yzma, albeit swapping around her story a bit. So thank God for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting learning more about how this film would have come about. Though, if I can be kind of honest, as beautiful as King of the Sun looked, and I'm sure it would have been also a pretty decent portrayal of Inca culture, white cast and all, I also kind of worry that it would have been a little too clumsy on the story. Like, it seemed like there were so many different plots in it. Yeah. Yeah, like how you have the whole Prince and the Popper subplot, then you have the love interest, then you have like Yzma trying to summon a god that'll keep, so she blocks out the sun and it'll keep her young and beautiful forever. And it's like, oh dear, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> and Sting was brought on to write the music. Yeah, and it's actually a pretty good soundtrack. Snuff Out the Light is easily the best of it. It's, yeah. That song is a jam. <laughs> And then also, I also kind of have a soft spot for the Someday She'll Love Me Again. Yeah, it's got kind of a different feel for most Disney love songs. So it's kind of more of a tragedy than anything. Kind of reminded me a lot of If I Can't Love Her from the Beauty and the Beast Broadway yeah. show. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating learning more about how everything was coming to be then just like halfway through you see Roger Allers having to deal with the frustration that the executives are just all nah this isn't for us and how it's described as basically being forced to have your arms cut off and then have your pants pulled down showing the final product only for the executives not to be impressed <laughs> yeah I definitely agree with you that it seemed the kingdom of the sun idea there was a yeah, it was, a, I guess, a case of too many cooks in the kitchen, but the cooks were plot points <laughs> and characters. Sadly, Kronk was not one of those cooks. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's my one argument whenever I say, if we got King of the Sun, we wouldn't have gotten Kronk. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, we wouldn't have gotten, we wouldn't have gotten, pull the lever! Wrong lever! Yeah. How do we even have that lever? Basically, it's kind of amazing that Emperor's New Groove just turned out to be as fucking amazing as it is. Like, it's not just yeah. good for what it is. It's a it's a staple in animated comedy. And it has, you know, gr only really grown since it came out in popularity, I feel. Yeah, how it both got Kronk's New Groove and the Emperor's New School. And in a lot of ways, I think it's come to kind of influence a lot of modern day not just for Disney humor, but pretty much a lot of films in general, especially animated films. Yeah, I agree. One argument I've heard is that had Kingdom of the Sun been made, would it have been more authentic to Inca culture? And it's kind of hard to say because I don't think Emperor's New Groove is like as amazing as it is. It's kind of hard to say whether it's a positive or negative pres presentation of Inca culture. It's just kind of not, besides obviously the backgrounds of it, it's kind of yeah. not the most focused on culture. Whereas the original project would have been a little more focused on culture. There's a good guy, there's a guy on TikTok who makes these videos explaining indigenous history and kind of, like, exploring indigenous representation in films on TikTok. His name is Connor Beard OX. He's of the Lumbee tribe and he explores various types of indigenous representation. When it came to this film, he kind of
kind of had a little bit of trouble saying whether he considered it positive or negative representation. And personally, I think it's kind of a best of both worlds thing. Plus, let's be real, if Disney really wanted to make an Inca film, they probably would have hired Peruvian actors, but that's yeah. off topic. <laughs> and Mark Dindle was the co-director, but eventually became the direct, just the director when the producer, Randy Fulmer, and a bunch of other executives were saying it's too complex and we don't want to keep making the same film over and over again, basically. And, and as much as it stings to say, it stings, mm -hmm. the executives were right. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it felt very much every plot point I kept, that keeps coming up. It's like, I feel like I've seen this in a Disney movie already. Yeah, and it's kind of also, it wouldn't be so much bad that it's kind of something you've seen. It's just that there's too much of it. Yeah. Honestly, as much as I love Atlantis, uh, that's what it kind of reminded me of in its early days. One thing that really stuck with me was, even though he didn't end up animating in the movie anyways, Andreas Deja talking about how animation is acting and how in your last scene, you don't really know the character until the last scene. That yeah. Was a, that that was actually something um, the animator, the supervising animator for Kronk said when he was on this podcast or in an earlier episode, that mm. if he could come back and do a new movie with Kronk in it, he thinks he would, it would be even better because he knows the character more now. Hell yes. <laughs> I just want more Kronk in general. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> It's kind of also fascinating that none of the behind-the-scenes scenes are on Disney+. Plus. In fact, the only extras they have for this movie on Disney+, Plus are one clip. But I guess yeah. maybe that would be too many people would start bringing up the elephant in the room, like, oh, so are you going to go into the story of why it was canceled? And it's like, yeah. well, no, we're not that brave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a movie that you, you, as we said before, you can only really find on YouTube every once in a while before Disney eventually takes it down. Disney has not, not officially released it in any form. Yeah, especially since it's also got a lot of swearing. And yeah, it. Also, I, I have a... that in my notes that Sting swears a lot. <laughs> and then there's also one scene where they're talking about how they swap the jokes and how they swap the alcohol for pot in it. And yeah. it's just... <laughs> Man, it's a really damn good documentary, though. And it's especially fascinating kind of learning about how Disney animation works and how you can really see, especially for 2D animation, how artists will just sell their hearts out for every single scene, no matter how small it is. Like, you'll see how the one of the artists for Yizma is quietly voicing her while he's animating her and then also kind of yes, reading back and forth. Andreas Deja. Andreas Dija, yes. The legendary animator of characters like Scar and Gaston and yes. Jafar. <laughs> yeah, and you can kind of see also how they how they kind of also redesigned Pacha to look more like John Goodman is voicing him. And I think it's definitely for the best. It gives every character a unique personality and how... You can also kind of see how the designs changed over time, how the original yeah. designs looked. They kind of remind me a lot of Prince of Egypt in their original design, a little more yeah. realistic, less cartoony. Then you can tell in the final product, they managed to find a good balance of both that beautiful Disney style and also kind of a cartoony style. And it really balances out well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good, it feels like Disney meets a Looney Tunes cartoon, basically, in the final. Film. 
Absolutely. <laughs> um, I also remember in one scene they're talking about they were considering changing it to be in Nebraska, and I'm wondering what that movie would be like. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that because I feel like that would have been. <laughs> that would have been I mean, strange. I'm... Yeah, I would have forgiven too much of a. I don't know. It'd be. <laughs> it'd be basically a ringing bell, but but a comedy, I guess. <laughs> When they finally had figured out what movie they were making, they only had a year and a half to finish it. Oh, yeah. And they're talking about how it was hellish trying to finish it. How they're like, okay, we got to make this perfect. And it's still kind of amazing. Emperor's No Groove turned out as amazing as it was, knowing it was kind of rushed in the end. Yeah, I think I think eventually the everybody was just like, we're tired. We're just going to do whatever we want. <laughs> And then they trim down all the parts that were unnecessary because there are a lot of stuff they don't go into in this documentary in the middle where it was Kingdom in the Sun instead of Kingdom of the Sun and on its transition there was going to be an Adam West character which that would have been fun to have a movie that had Eartha Kitt and Adam West in it a Disney yes. movie. Yes. <laughs> um, that was like a conspiracy theory guy and there was going to an entirely different love interest character for the Emperor that I don't know if she got retooled into Melina in the TV show or not. I mean, yeah, I could see that. She kind of had a similar design. Her name was Nina, too. So, Manina! Yeah. <laughs> I <and> don't know. <laughs> it looks like a comic. They had a, a diff that was a character for Owen Wilson's character. And then they had a character later that was going to be for David Spade's character that was named Mata. And I feel yeah. like Melina sort of feels like a composite of the two characters. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Her design is closer to Nina's design, but she has more of a um, snarky, I'm not putting up with this guy shit um, attitude that I guess that both characters kind of had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it kind of hit me that I wonder if while filming Cars, Owen Wilson ever wondered, oh shit, is this going to get shut down too halfway? <laughs> Am I going to get kicked out of this one too? <laughs> wow. I can't really do an almost voice. Whoa! I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> twins. Plus, yeah, you kind of can see. It is kind of funny how similar David Spade and Owen Wilson look to each other. So I guess if they had gone with Kingdom of the Sun, there would have been some irony in how both they're twins in the movie and kind of twins in real life. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and they're both comedians that my mom is not particularly fond of, though they've kind of grown on her a little bit, but not as... Yeah, I'd say that Owen Wilson's definitely the more popular of the two for obvious reasons. And yeah. Then, yeah, in fact, I think this is the only... Emperor's New Groove kind of ended up being the only movie that David Spade's ever been in that was really liked by a lot of people. I mean, I guess, like, Tommy Boy and such were decently a lot of the liked. Chris Farley, yeah. yeah, a lot of the Chris Farley stuff is, yeah. in, has been popular, but, like, some people like some of his other stuff, but... The Emperor's New Groove, I feel like, was where it was the best cast. It, it, even though everybody was white in it, the cast is so suited to those characters. Absolutely. It's difficult to imagine anyone else as, like, Cusco or Yzma or Kronk. Oh, definitely. Like, Eartha Kitt was the perfect person for Yzma. She, man, she has... I was amazed she was in her 70s while this was being filmed because she has so much energy. She has almost as much energy as she did when she was playing Catwoman. Like, yeah, and damn. I don't think that, I don't think that, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there when she was getting sick, but it's, her last few things she was in was The Emperor's New School and 
The Simpsons, and judging by the emperor by her voice performance in the Emperor's New School, it doesn't seem that her energy ever really went away. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, she sounded amazing, no matter what. And she won two daytime Emmys for her performance in the Emperor's New School in the TV oh, show. Nice. Yeah, and though I can imagine if they ever did want to bring back Emperor's New School for another season or maybe a reboot, I could see Cree Summer really playing her. Yeah, I could see Cree Summer. The person they got now, Candy Milo, does a pretty decent job. She's done a, a couple of things in the in the parks, hmm. which I may talk about on another episode. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then how at the end of this documentary, they kind of have the walk around characters come out and they, I was kind of a little disappointed. They never actually put those in the park because they actually look pretty fun. <laughs> they they looked... have them in Paris now. Oh, nice. And they yeah. also have a human Cusco who debuted in Paris in 2013. Oh, sweet. Yeah. They have both Cusco, the human and a llama, which is rare for characters. Usually they're only in the form they're in for the majority of the movie. Like, you don't really get to meet, I mean, I don't know many people would want to anyways. You don't really get to meet the prince. It's usually the beast in the parks. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'd say that Cusco and his, um, excuse me, and his llama form have both kind of equally gotten the same amount of respect, though, because you see the e equal amount of memes for both. It's not like the prince and the beast, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And in the TV show, even though, like, for the first season or so, every episode was the premise of him getting turned into an animal, eventually they moved away from that a little bit. So there's more episodes of the TV show where he's just a person the whole time. Uh, okay. Yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, and then I remember how Eartha Kitt in the documentary was also talking about how she just loves playing Yzma. How, like, she's a girl who goes for what she wants. And it's like, yeah, she... Yzma was kind of in the right when you think about it because she was I mean she and Cusco were kind of both similarly selfish but she clearly had kind of competence I guess well, she, <laughs> Whereas, she, I mean it, I mean she's Eartha Kitt so you're gonna root for her anyways because it's Eartha Kitt versus David Spade yes <laughs> that's my argument is lots of people are like well Yzma was right all along and I was like mm. Kind of, but also she's Eartha Kitt, so of course you're going to like her more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then another fascinating thing in this documentary was how they talked about their use of color theory. When they yeah, were I was going to bring color. that up too, so yes. Yeah, it's really fascinating how they kind of learn how warm colors have a strong place in Peruvian culture and how they're like, okay, so we're going to have warm colors represent the good. So it's kind of fascinating to see red kind of be used more. They represent uh, heroes and then you see the kind of colors like blue and purple kind of being represented in the evil light that kind of represents Yzma's color palette. Yeah, what's really interesting is I liked, I think, I don't, they didn't bring this up in the documentary, but I think sort of Cusco's sort of right in the middle of uh, hero and villain. So he has colors kind of in the middle. So he has red and gold. Yeah, yeah. And then in the, and then in the concept art, they kind of show how he has a mixture of them, like yellow and red, and then kind of showing yeah kind of showing that he's kind of that middle tier as he overcomes his selfishness and kind of goes through his character arc so yeah and then he never, yeah and how he still is kind of selfish in the end but he's no longer but he's kind of more of a snarky little little shit than like a selfish one so he's still yeah. really he's still the Cusco we know and love <laughs> yeah 
thing I liked in it that they cut out, I assume for time, but I feel like it's only a minute, so they could have left it in. Um, the Yzma version of Perfect World. Yes, that would have been perfect. Like, I feel like that would have really summed up that the idea that Yzma is basically a more overtly villainous mirror image of Cusco Zico. Yeah, I could see her especially doing it during the scene where she confronts Pacha and Cusco. That could really fit. <laughs> yeah. I bet you weren't expecting this thing's perfect world. <laughs> yeah. And of course, eventually they wanted to simplify, so they brought simplified the plot, simplified the characters, and then they brought in Kronk, who I believe was a character that was pitched by Chris storyboard artist Chris Williams. And honestly, in a way, I think, not to say it's good, but the animators were on like a limited amount of time, but you can kind of tell that the pacing was kind of changed during the production and for the better because the movie's pacing is just perfect. And I'm sure in Emperor's, I'm sure in Kingdom of the, I almost said Emperor's New Son. <laughs> the, but I'm sure in Kingdom of the Sun, it wouldn't have been bad pacing, but because of all the plots, it feels like it would have had, but it would have been like, okay, either too quick or not quick enough. And just, we wouldn't have gotten the great comedic timing we ended up getting. Yeah, the, the timing and the, Pacing and everything is hilarious in Ember's new groove. Absolutely. Another thing I noticed about the color theory is how green was especially a big part of the good of Yeah, the that's, plot, that's Pacha's which, color. Yeah, and how it kind of leads all, not into just Pacha's story, but also how when Cusco takes um, Pacha's poncho and it kind of starts to help him learn to respect Pacha more and kind of appreciate him. So. And sort of becomes part of the family. Yeah, <laughs> and how in a way it helps him kind of grow closer with Chi, with Chica and Chicha. Sorry, <laughs> with Chicha and the kids, and kind of beginning to develop a kind of weird relationship with them, and kind of developing a father-son relationship with Pacha. Yeah, it's really neat. Did you notice that? And um, when it was getting to the time of production, where it was Christmas time, they were playing Santa Baby, and it was the original Eartha Kit Santa Baby. <gasps> Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like if they hadn't included that, that would have been the biggest missed opportunity. So thank God. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of fascinating also how Sting was just really determined to be able to still release the songs in some way. And also during, as the film began to slowly fall apart, he was like, all right, I'm going to the Himalayas. And they were like, like, we'll find you there. It's like, you can never escape from these productions. <laughs> You can't escape. Disney owns you. Once you're, once you're in, you're in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of nice that they still kept the songs on the soundtrack. It's kind of still, okay, so they don't go completely to waste. Because it seems like Sting really sold his heart into these songs, too. Like, they sound really good, and they never come across as pretentious, either. They would have definitely fit for the movie it was. There was a one-day event at Disneyland Paris where there was like a show called Max Live hosted by Max Goof. And at one point, Yzma and Cusco show up and they have a sing-off and Yzma sings Snuff Out the Light in that. And nice. it's recordings of Eartha Kitt singing it. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh my I, God. Can make, I can send you the link after we're done recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then I've also seen the little animatic they've had of it and in the documentary, how they kind of have her in kind of a shadow form, which I wonder if they use parts of that to inspire the, I'll turn him into a flea. Yeah, sequence. it does remind me of that a lot. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Also, this movie opens in a sort of in media res, 
<laughs> kind of like the Emperor's New Groove does. I don't think yeah. that was intentional. I think it's just yeah. the way it turned out. Because it opens and then it goes two years earlier. And then it, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of also a how did we get here story. <laughs> yeah. And then and then at the middle you're at where you were at the beginning. Just like in the Emperor's <laughs> New Groove. So I thought that was an interesting thing to know. Yeah. Roger Allers just just shows up on screen and he's like, I'm the I'm the main protagonist and it crosses out the executives. <laughs> yeah. Then it's kind of fascinating how a lot of the times when Disney tries for Disney has their heart set on a film that they're sure is going to be the big Oscar winner it usually kind of falls out and how like the other films they they're kind of like oh whatever that'll be just whatever they're kind of like that turns out to be the big hit like how they were with Lion King and Pocahontas how Katzenberg was all Pocahontas is gonna be the big hit and then <laughs> the, the big Oscar winner and Lion King's just gonna be some dumb animal movie and then Lion King's the biggest hit of all time Pocahontas is liked by almost no one <laughs> yeah. and then meanwhile with this they had their hearts set out on telling this big epic fantasy and then then ended up getting reworked into a comedy and it still remains one of the best disney films to date and then everybody's just like yeah we're glad we went with what we went with so i guess in some ways it's kind of they kind of dodged a bullet i guess <laughs> And there was a segment where they were showing like the Happy Meal toys. And as soon as that came on, I immediately thought of channel KRT. And that's <laughs> our unofficial KRT toy store segment. Yeah. <laughs> they should make like for those Disneyland toys, they should make a little roller coaster that has Yzma and Kronk on it and then just send them down the hill. <laughs> they, should, they should make a real roller coaster. <laughs> Yes! Oh my god, that would be so fucking... In fact, if they did something similar to the Simpsons ride and having the Emperor's New Groove throughout it and you kind of have like Cusco riffing the ride as you go through, that would be amazing. That, that was one of the ideas I had. I have had, I've spent years developing ideas for an Emperor's New Groove ride that I will talk about on another episode dedicated Ooh, to yes. the Emperor's New Groove in the parks. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, I was kind of fascinated Eisner never showed up once during the, during it, because I was like, I was like, he's, he's in the corner, he's, he's coming, he's coming, it's a Chekhov's gun that never fires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is strange that Eisner was not in it. I recognized a lot of people, I recognized the animator Pacha, is also the create Bruce W. Smith is also the creator of the Proud Family, and the Proud Family, Prouder and Louder, coming on Disney+. Plus. Oh. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and then it's also kind of fascinating learning how the music was set to the movie, like how later on as they're slowly setting up Emperor's New Groove, they kind of were checking out the background music for the scenes, and they're kind of like, no, we want it to really fit the tone. We really want it to be perfect to the kind of thing it's setting up. We're kind of worried it might sound out of sync, and it's kind of fascinating learning how much music plays a role in it in animating how not just when you're creating songs but also background music sound effects etc you want to make sure it's all aligned perfectly like even one wrong move can sometimes result in accidental genius like the Wilhelm scream or it can just be a mess <laughs> yeah and this movie is kind of this movie kind of is like an accidental genius I guess the final yeah. the Emperor's New Groove 
Exactly. Yeah. And still, because you're kind of seeing how it's similar to how they're just trying to find a way not to have this fall through. And <laughs> it also makes me wonder if it was because it was coming right out at the tail end of the Renaissance, how they managed to still succeed with it. Like how as Tarzan was getting released, they were kind of like, okay, we still got that energy. We got that we got it going for a straight decade. We're going to finish strong. And so Emperor's New Groove was kind of the, not the swan song of it, but definitely kind of the last bit of there's no compromise. Everything in Renaissance will be, it'll have the strength of the Renaissance and be just as well remembered. And I mean, obviously like Lilo and Stitch ended up being a massive success, but then like you see how with, Atlantis and Treasure Planet and Brother Bear Brother Bear and Home on the Range how yeah. it basically when they were all forced into rushing it they didn't quite have that same success. <laughs> yeah Emperor's New Groove feels sort of like a transition period between the Renaissance and the experimental 2000s era. They wanted to do different stuff but they but by the by the time like Chicken Little and stuff came out they were, were they wanted to do something different, but they were also being, have had Eisner breathing down their neck. Yeah, like, <laughs> and then you also have, like, the deal of how a lot of other projects were getting canceled around the time, like Chicken Little also having the original My People's history behind it before that was, yeah. My People's was dropped in favor of Chicken Little, also directed by Mark Dindle, ironically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then it's also kind of fascinating, kind of, <clears throat> kind of learning how Roger and Mark's styles kind of kind of clashed and which sucks because I think they could have really collaborated well if they did their if they really worked together like there could have been a way to make the film both beautiful and comedic yeah yeah it makes so it makes me wonder if that was more so the executives and their and their handling of a lot of it and then how at the end, how they're kind of finally getting Emperor's New Groove together and how they're like, okay, lock the doors. We have to make sure this sees to fruition. They're kind of like, okay, we don't want this to fall through again. And you can just feel the sweat in their face and their foreheads. They're just like, oh God, this is it. This is the final product. Are and we going to actually see yeah. this to fruition? <laughs> and, Sting, and Sting had to write a letter because the ending was too... It didn't quite, the message didn't quite sink in as well as um, it should have, where Cusco built the theme park on the next hill instead of the little shack that he ends up building in the final film. Yeah, it's like, I won't, it's like, I won't colonize a village. I'll just, I'll just ruin the environment or something. <laughs> yeah. And then you can kind of tell that Sting also kind of really wanted to, <clears throat> wanted the film to be as big as possible so I kind of understand his frustration with the ending kind of being a simple comedic ending with the with the croc scouts and with the squirrel scouts and <laughs> yeah and then of course he has the sting song over the credits which is a beautiful yeah. song it it kind of clashes with the tone of the movie but it's a it's a, a good song yeah it's kind of funny how my funny friend with me and me it does fit with the with the plot but it's, yeah, also it's basically a, a summary of the plot of the movie yeah it's like <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a jarring how tonally different it is because it's just this big slow song, soft song where is the other song in the movies perfect world song and with the big old tom jones vocals for they, it fun how, fact about that song they wanted sting to sing that song 
Sting said, no, I'm too old. You need to get someone younger. So they got Tom Jones, who was 11 years older than Sting, to sing it. (laughs) Just the brilliant decisions. I could see him pulling it off, to be honest. And (laughs) it also is kind of funny because another thing this film was making me think of is, is I wonder if there's a documentary out there about wondering what Sting with what labyrinth what sting as jareth would have been like would have had kind of similar songs to this would we kind of had a version of magic dance that would have been a little little slower a little more <laughs> maybe more stuff out the light style i think that's about it for me do you have anything you want to add in regards to the sweatbox? um one more thing um especially during the scene where roger where roger's talking about how how it felt like sending off his child to college and how he he was kind of disappointing to see the film slowly fade away from him in a way it is kind of it is it does kind of suck because I hope someday maybe he'll be able to either come back to Disney or bring it to another studio and make something similar to it hell I wouldn't mind that they actually tried this again and then kind of made a different story involving Inca culture and kind of learning kind of having a bit more of an idea of pace and such and still being able to bring what they wanted to from it to life who knows maybe they will someday though please keep it animated don't make it live action please yeah and i'm surprised that um well a little surprised i don't really know how much they know but i'm surprised they never like used any of these elements in like the sequels or the tv show except for the love interest like i'm surprised there was never a plot where yzma wanted to block out the sun for any whatever reason whether it was because she wanted to be younger or because she thought somehow that would get rid of cusco yeah like maybe she could have been all oh this will be what what'll keep me from this is what'll destroy Cusco and make me the empress or something (laughs) yeah I'm I'm surprised they didn't do that at any point I mean she does have her she does have her lab so she could easily just throw a potion up at the sun and then put it out so (laughs) yeah they live in a mountainous region so although then again would she even need to summon a god if she has all those all those materials who knows (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? All right. I'm over at Channel KRT, and I'm over at Mission Breakout on Twitter. I'm also at A Walking Pun on on Instagram. And then you can also find me on the stream for Thanks for Magic coming out on December 5th and 6th, or by the time this episode's out. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you. And as as said before, I make cartoons on Fire Blast Studios at YouTube doc on that's Fire is the channel on YouTube.com where I make cartoons of Escape from Vault Disney and also I have a show called The Molly and Pippin Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Micah Hirsch. You can follow this podcast at podcast T E N P on Twitter. And also I have a Patreon where if you like you can pledge to my Patreon and give me money. <laughs> so give him money. Give him money. <laughs> thank you for joining me. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, this was great. I really had fun talking about this documentary, and it's really fun getting to explore this section of Emperor's New Groove history. So thank you for having me on. And thank you so much again for all your animations, and see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. What's his name?